Hello, welcome to Cubs PS Plus, a Northside numbers game, a weekly podcast that dives headfirst into the analysis of hot topics driving Chicago Cubs baseball. I'm your host, Mike Waller, a lifelong Cub fan, full-time baseball stat nerd, and sometime youth baseball coach. Thanks for being here today. I know you have a lot of choices. You can find me on Twitter or X, Instagram, TikTok, Threads, Blue Sky, and YouTube, all at Cubs PS Plus, a spin on the baseball metric OPS Plus. If you can, please take a second and drop a rating or review on Apple, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. If you've done that, thank you so much. Maybe you can share an episode with a friend. Just a few seconds can help me get better and help other Cub fans find the show. You can also help support the Cubs PS Plus podcast by going to cubspsplus.patreon.com. There are four support tiers that come with added perks, and your support will help me keep this podcast ad-free. Welcome into episode 51, the Heathcliff Slocum episode of this podcast. The Cubs continue to play winning baseball. Today, the Cubs will be playing game two of a four-gamer against the Diamondbacks, another series with big playoff implications. This week, I'm thrilled to be joined by Brian Smith, who provides prospect coverage for Bleacher Nation. Brian and I talk about how the Cubs are handling the September roster expansion and what to expect from Alexander Canario and Luke Little now that they're up and have debuted. We also talk about a variety of other prospects like Jordan Wicks, Pete Crow Armstrong, and Kate Horton, among others. Who else might the Cubs look at this month in the pennant race? Let's find out. Are you ready? I'm ready. Here. We. Go. This week I'm thrilled to be joined by Brian Smith of Bleacher Nation. Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Mike. I appreciate it. So how did you come to start following Cubs prospects and getting into sort of this kind of work? Sure, yeah. I've been writing about prospects more or less on the internet for like 20 years. I wrote for um, Baseball Prospectus and Fangraphs, uh, a little bit for SI.com. Um, so it was a national capacity uh, during that time. And um, I was always a Cubs fan. And then I stopped writing when I sort of entered the working world uh, for about uh, seven years or so. Mm-hmm. And my sort of entryway back into writing was just, you know, sort of that, the love of that 2015 team, I would say, and um, just sort of bringing me back into like fandom being the ruling interest that I have in baseball. And, you know, I decided that if I was going to, if I was going to do it again, that I was just going to focus on just sort of my heart and the Cubs and and not um, bring in all 30 teams anymore and the craziness that that does. So it's, uh, it's been nice to just, to just focus on the thing that I act actually care about that's so much fun well i was going to get to it later but you brought up the 2015 team so i think we all look back to that 2015 yeah. 2016 team and we think about that young core that came up all that young talent it was really the first time i've been following the cubs for 40 years and it's probably the first time in my lifetime there's really been a big concentration of talent coming up together there, at times yeah. in the past there were one or two guys maybe two or three guys but I put out a tweet this week. I went back and looked. I wanted to compare this year to 2015, 2016. And I wound up looking at 2016, 2019, and 2023, sort of the start of the well, the championship year, kind of the end of yeah. the run in 2019. And I think there's this thought that like the 2016 team was so young. And, and a lot of that's because some of the really key players were young stars. Right. But like by my count, I went through the roster that year. They had seven hitters and one pitcher. Basically, almost a quarter of the roster was kind of young, homegrown talent. And by the end, there were more hitters. By 2019, there were like 11 hitters, one pitcher. I was a little bit shocked this year to see, you know, they've got 
eight homegrown hitters, 11 homegrown pitchers that have pitched in some capacity. Now they're not all, you know, core parts of, you know, the, the, the key guys on the team, but that's right. a big change of the last few years. And this had, has to be a really fun era for you to be covering Cubs prospects. Yeah. I mean, what's really cool. What, when I saw that tweet, what really stood out to me was, you know, the way that, that baseball executive plans can come together. Um, you know, I think that 2015 team, like the mentality that Theo built that team with and with Jed's help and Jason McLeod as well was, you know, we're going to draft college hitters early on because we think Mm -hmm. the odds of hitting on those are really high and, you know, we're going to buy pitching and the, you know, I, I think they thought that with their ability to spend that they would be able to find that they were correct. They, you know, I think they also thought they could identify uh, pitching on the margins that was undervalued. And I think they were right on that as well, like Jake Arietta. Um, and then it completely shifted when Jed took over, you know, the emphasis went on, we're going to invest heavily on the pitching side, both just like in who were drafting, who were signing, things like that, but also the infrastructure of how we're developing guys. And, you know, I mean, they have so many more pitching coaches than they did eight years ago. You know, the, mm-hmm. the emphasis on development is so segmented now between hitting and pitching in a way that it, that it wasn't before. Um, and so just seeing that come together, I mean, the, the pitching just this week, I think, has spoke more than anything to just, okay, this, mm-hmm. this part of the plan is working. Well, and I love too that we're seeing. So Jordan Wicks was number one pick for the Cubs two years ago, but then you also see Javier Assad and Justin Steele, who I know Steele was kind of in and out of the top thirty given his injury history over the years. He was a prospect, um, yep. but those are both guys who were in the system for a long time. Kind of Assad was probably seen as organizational depth most of the time he was here, and actually getting yes. quality major league performances out of guys like that is something you know, we didn't see during the last era. Yeah, I mean, when you talk to minor league pitching coaches and development coaches in general, I mean, what they emphasize is like you have to care about every guy in the organization because those little wins of guys that you didn't think were going to be much that that get over the top, like those speak to a healthy organization more than like, you know, when the Cubs get Cade Horton to the major leagues, like they're going to have helped that development, but that's mm-hmm. just like an insanely talented person who's like, who is going to get to the major leagues anyway. It's like, Javier Assad looked like double A was going to be too much. And then, the, you know, they worked together to get that cutter. And, you know, I think the cutter was sort of the bridge pitch that allowed everything else to take off for him. And um, and it just opened it up. And when you win a game because, you know, I mean, you can almost track it back to like when that cutter happened in his game, you know, it allowed you to win a game in late August against a division rival like that. That stuff really matters. Yeah. Well, I think the last two years we've seen, you know, the Cubs in sell-off mode, not competing. Yep. There have been chances for Javier Saad last year to come up and get, what, five or six starts at the end of the year and show something. And um, I know they're not part of the organization anymore, but like Adrian Sampson and Manny Rodriguez to be able to come up and show something that maybe they wouldn't in a pennant race. And so now I'll, I'll bring us to kind of current day with the September roster expansion, which isn't what it used to be. You know, it used to be we could call up what, 10 bullpen arms and three base dealers and all the niche guys. Um, But I think there's a perception this year. So the Cubs opted originally for Alexander Canario and Shane Green. Um, Shane Green since been let go and now it's Luke Little. Um, 
heading into roster expansion, like what were you thinking the Cubs might do before you saw the moves they actually made? Yeah, I mean, I I thought with a couple weeks to go before September 1st, it was just tracking that it was going to be Pete Crow Armstrong. Um, I thought I thought it was heading that direction, and uh, especially at the time, Talkman was just starting to struggle, so it looked like sort of the perfect storm a little bit. I did kind of think it was going to be a veteran arm. I always thought that Brad Boxberger's like rehab was really set up to be the September 1st guy, and then. And then I'd heard that Shane Green really impressed when he was in Arizona just after he signed. So he was sort of on the radar too. But, you know, I think I think one thing that really became clear with this team about two, three weeks ago was like there are 20, 22 maybe guys that David Ross is like, those are my guys I'm going to fight with. And that's really it. And so the Cubs are – you know, the Cubs are okay operating with a 22 man roster right now. So, you know, I think that the importance of those 27th and 28th men is just so much less than it is for other teams that, that are more willing to access all parts of their roster right now. That makes sense. I think we've seen that a good chunk of the year. I mean, to start the year, what they had Edwin Rios and Luis Torrens on the roster and they barely played. And this last time yep. since his last call up, Miles Mastroboni has made it into like three games. Um, so Ross definitely narrows on his rotations. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think that's hard for fans to sort of like change how we're used to things because last year, you know, I mean, last year it's, I kept saying it's a year where you're trying to answer questions. You're trying to say, okay, is, you know, is Michael Rucker a major league pitcher? Is Mm -hmm. Javier Assad uh, more of a reliever or could he actually work in a rotation and like you're just going through and the important thing for a team like that is like answering the individual questions of like you know what can what does this guy mean to this organization going forward that's completely shifted we're like the next year the only thing that matters is the team and the result that day and so mm-hmm. everything has to work in service of getting that win and so i think it can be a little hard for us to like shift sort of our mentality as fans where we're still like we're still rooting not only for the win but also for these guys as individuals to keep sort of like building and growing and you know that's just not something david ross can afford right now he's like he can only afford to care about the win yeah and and i know canario gets a lot of attention because of you know, who he is, his his pedigree as a prospect. And then obviously he had the horrific injury last November. So to come all the way back from that is, is really exciting. But like, honestly, I, I started thinking this morning, I had to go back and look it up, but I couldn't even remember who the Cubs September call-ups were the last couple of years. Like it didn't right. matter. And even they going all blended back together. Yeah. And even going back to the years of contention, there was never quite that like big hype prospect that was next. Like usually, yeah. Um, they would come up during the season if they were going to come up that year. I mean, we saw that with Schwarber and Contreras and Javi and all those guys. Yeah. Um, so I, I kind of got thinking back, and I don't even remember what normal is on as far as top prospects in September call-ups, let alone doing it in the pennant race. Yeah, um, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, the thing that like sticks out from that era is just like you'd always have your like Terrence Gore, Quinton Berry, like mm-hmm. you know, pinch runner, defensive specialist at the end of the bench, and. Um, yeah, everything else was just sort of blends together in my mind. And what sense do you get? So another thing that's changed over the last, I can't remember, three, four, five years, something like that, is it used to be you hit September 1st, 
they had more call-ups, and the minor league season was basically over, except for maybe playoffs. So now yeah. Iowa's going to play most of September. Yep. So there's got to be some balance there between, like, let's use PCA as an example. Is it better to come up and get him exposure on the big league team and pinch run, play a little defense, maybe spot start if if uh, Talkman's not hitting well, versus stay at Iowa, get your extra 20 games worth of at-bats and play and all the outfield spots. How much do you think goes into that when they're making that decision? Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably an inexact science right now. I think they're still probably trying to figure out that balance because this is so new. I mean, you know, before, like you said, you could call up 40 guys. So, like, you you would just look at your 40-man roster and anyone that you thought could be helpful to the team, like, why not? Bring them in. Yeah. Um, now that you're capped at 28, you know, I mean, that sort of creates its own decision. And then, like you said, like, they have minor league games to play, so they so then you also have the developmental um pros and cons to weigh so you know i would guess that jared banner and jed hoyer would tell you like they're not 100 percent confident that they're making the right decision for each individual but um you know i think the pitching side of it became pretty obvious that okay they needed they needed somebody for that red series and then mm-hmm. when it got there you know i think they thought shane green was going to start that game i really do and then i think the night before you know Hadavi and Moscos and Ross probably sat down and said, all right, well, why don't the first five innings we go with arms that we know? And then, you know, if we have to pull Shane, we'll, we'll do it later in the game. And it just never worked out. And then, you know, fast, fast forward a week. And I think Luke Little makes a lot of sense for this team. So they've called him up and it's, I think it's really good timing on both sides, like for him individually and for the team, the hitting side, (laughs) I think, they probably thought like, we just don't need anybody. Um, yeah. And it's a really interesting decision. I don't necessarily think that they made the right decision. I would probably say that Jared Young was a better choice than Alexander Canario. But if they said, you know, we think he's going to learn a ton by being here for 10 days. Uh, I can't really argue with that because I bet there are some like behind the scenes things that we don't even know about or conceive of that are happening that are beneficial for him. Well, and one thing I thought about too was wasn't Canario already announced for the Arizona fall league? Yes. So in terms of losing at bats, I wonder if maybe it was less of a big deal for him to lose some at bats in September as opposed to PCA because he's going to go play in Arizona. I don't know. Just spitball. Yeah. Like, that could definitely be in play um, with Crow Armstrong. I think like, I think when they realized that that 28th spot was not going to be used very much, it just, I think that probably tossed Pete out of the September 1st conversation. Mm-hmm. I do think that we're going to see him. I think we're going to see him, you know, it might even only be with about 10 days to go. Um, but uh, so I think he's going to get his sort of full swath of Iowa experience. And then he's going to come up, to serve that sort of role that we talked about pinch run and defensive specialists. And then they won't feel like they cheated him out of very much. Um, where I think, like you said, with the AFL being there for Canario, I don't really think they're cheating him out of anything. I think they're, they're seeing it. Hey, we're giving him a raise. We're introducing him to all these coaches. Like we're, mm-hmm. um, in, we're still investing in his future, um, and still going to find him those at bats. Well, as much as I think there's some sentiment, there's there was obviously some frustration when he's up for was it five days before he got in a bat and yeah. didn't play in the doubleheader, didn't get in a bat and at the end of a blowout in Cincinnati. But um, it was cool to see when he got that at bat, even though it was against 
one of the nastiest pitchers he could possibly debut against. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, you know, the whole team's up on the rail, like going for him. So like, he's not some forgotten guy in the, in the dugout. I don't think. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, Christopher Morel, like, you know, I think part of this process has been David Ross trying to get him out of his slump. And, you know, when you look at this team after they win, like the way that Christopher Morel is and the handshake line, like Mm -hmm. he's a really important part of the heartbeat of this team too. Not just like what his home runs can do, but, but his personality. And I think he's largely in charge of like when guys come up from the minor leagues, like Chris is, Chris is really helpful, I think, to integrating those guys into sort of the team chemistry and, and team components. So um, it's kind of funny that they were pitted against each other in sort of fans' expectations <laughs> for playing time because, like, I guarantee you, like, Canario's best friend with the team is Morel, and I guarantee you that, like, Morel, you know, is hoping that Alexander gets those experiences and, like, and helps the team. So, like, those two guys, I don't think there's any sort of rivalry within the team happening. I bet those two guys are pulling for each other more than anyone else. I'm sure that's true. So what should fans, as they look ahead, both Canario as a player and the role he's probably going to be in for however long he's up, whether they swap him with PCA or make another move, um, what should fans expect to see? Yeah, I mean, I, I always like one of the things I just don't like to do, like since I started writing again, is like I wanted to come into it from a and this is sort of how I view following prospects, I guess, is like be as optimistic and try to like, you know, try to present the hopeful side of following the minor leagues. And so I I always sort of hate to start to delve into the cons list, but what I would say in an honest way about Canario is he is not major league ready. He is actually like truly, I think one of the least sort of major league ready call-ups the Cubs have had in the last decade. Um, I think those sort of behind the scenes things that were happening is really the motivating factor for the call-up more than anything else. So what didn't bother me about him not getting at bats is like, you know, I do think Patrick wisdom is more likely to succeed in his next plate appearance than Alexander Canario. Okay. Um, now long-term, I think that his future is great. I think um, I, the, the big thing that's happened is just losing out on those at bats. He was in such a groove starting yes. in July of last summer of seeing the baseball, his plate approaches changed radically starting in July of last year. And I think that really sort of ushered his breakout at the end of the season. And that just, that like hasn't quite come back yet. And what what changes were those? I think he just started, I think he started seeing a lot more pitches. I think he was a lot more comfortable in two strike counts, even when he got up to, you know, the late, the upper minors and the good breaking stuff that you see with two strikes there. Um, He's, I think he just, he, when he was in high A, if a pitcher threw anything close to the strike zone on the first pitch, he was he was going for it, and he was talented enough that like he was making that work. Um, he could still draw walks, but they were mostly walks that you were seeing like non-competitive pitches, mm-hmm. you know, getting the four balls or whatever. Um, I think he really matured where he was like working walks and he was working into favorable counts and swinging at the right pitches and things like that. When he came back this year, like he was rusty, you know, and it just, it wasn't happening the same way. And it, I, even like that, the hot streak he went on that's referenced a lot before his call up, 
you know, it was about a week before his call up. He had four games that were absolutely incredible. Like, you know, he's still in swing mode, um, still like trying to find pitches to, to do damage on more than like trying to find counts where he can put himself in good position. Okay. So, um, you know, I do think he needs a lot of at bats still, and he's probably, I don't know, three, 400 at bats away from being major league ready. But, um, the power the he has game changing power in a way that like he does still have all-star upside and that's worth the Cubs continuing to explore and develop. So you would see maybe his best case scenario would be go to the AFL, maybe start back in Iowa to start next year, get that approach down and then maybe mid season back half of next season, he's major league ready and potentially there to fill injuries or whatever happens. Totally. I, I mean, I love that him and Brennan Davis like will kind of know all off season that they're going to start next year in Iowa. And they both know that like, in a way, like in a healthy competition way, like you guys are both on this 40 man roster, sort of in the same spot, like go, mm-hmm. go win a job. You know, the all, the only thing in front of you is like dominate enough that they have to call you up to the major leagues. And, you know, I, I love when guys are in that position because that's when like you, that's when they really earn it, and that's when like hung, you can really feel the hunger when you watch those AAA games. Yeah, and both of those guys are interesting too because minus injuries, they might both already be up in Chicago, or certainly either, oh, either one. Yeah, could be. I think they both would be. Yeah, um, absolutely. That's wild. So let's talk about Luke Little. Um, the uh, interesting yeah. name being you know six eight. I, I like they listed him at two hundred and twenty pounds. He's he's about as close to two twenty as Morel is to one forty five. But exactly, um, he's a big dude. So what what should fans look for from him? We got a taste the the uh, yesterday, but yeah, it seems like every year, re, like the Cubs will have one guy that flies through the minors and touches four levels. Last year they actually had two with uh, Jeremiah Estrada and Matt Mervis doing her. No, Matt Mervis only did three levels. So it was Estrada only last year. Luke Little's the guy this year. Started the year in South Bend, up in Chicago now, touched touched uh, Tennessee and Iowa. Um, a guy that I think just the thing that sticks out more than anything else is if you imagine being a hitter facing Luke Little, like, man, it just you must just want to be backing out of that batter's box like every second before the ball leaves his hand because he's it's just – in addition to being a giant, there's just some like kind of funk to his delivery. It's so slow. And then he just gets that front leg down and his, and his arm moves really fast. And that's sort of between like the heaviness of his front leg, uh, and how fast his arm moves. That's where the 97 miles per hour comes from. And so like, you know, I think you're like, as a hitter, you're slowly waiting for the ball. And then all of a sudden it's on top of you. So he's, He's just so uncomfortable um, and hitters have just never hit him well in the minors. I mean, especially like if you look at his slugging percentage against in the minors, there's about no one that's had it lower, especially against left-handed hitters. Um, and then the thing that graded out amazingly in his first appearance was the slider that the Cubs have helped him with in the minor leagues has gotten to just an incredible place. I mean, he gets, he gets like 15 miles per hour difference off his fastball, which I think is a really nice number. Mm-hmm. And it sweeps almost 20 inches, which is sort of the magic number that you look for in a sweeper. And so, um, yeah, left. I mean, we didn't even see him against a left-handed hitter in his debut. Like that's going to be the strength, 
but he showed us that he's gonna that he's gonna do good against right-handed hitters too. I think he's like, I think he's sort of that mid relief, but like can handle the seventh eighth inning guy for the Cubs for five years. I think I think it's gonna work. That's great. That slowness of delivery was one of the first things I noticed. Like he's just this big dude. I was like, I know he throws hard, so you know I hadn't seen it yet. The first pitch was like. Okay, he does, but it doesn't. It doesn't look like it. It, it looks so. There's like easy there's like a laziness to it almost, and then but then you know you see the intent at the end of it comes through, but it it's a very odd mix of like lazy and then super firm. Um, yeah, you don't see it very often. Yeah, and, he and just, actually, the he, one thing I would point out is you know the Cubs traded DJ Hers at the at the trade deadline, and I think. I think that was related in a way to Luke Little. Those those two guys were both uh, Rule Five eligible this off season, mm-hmm. and I think the Cubs looked at it and said, like, we're probably going to only have room for one homegrown lefty in our bullpen. Um, DJ, you know, I thought I think they thought with both Luke and DJ, like the most um, pre- like likely outcome for them was going to be the bullpen. And those those two guys are really fun to compare because they both have a lot of weird funkness to their delivery. And just mm-hmm. the fact that like they didn't not like they kept they, they decided to keep Luke, I think, very deliberately tells you that there's some optimism within the organization about him. Yeah. Well, one thing I like to see too is, you know, they make that trade. DJ Hers has had a bunch of great starts in the Nationals organization since he went over. Nelson Velasquez yeah, is, is mashing good. homers. On the one hand, as a fan, you kinda like, mm, we let the, let those guys go, but but it takes talent to get talent. And if and yeah. if the Cubs can produce talent and still fill the major league team, and this year, you know, they're like, if they're 43% homegrown, I, I got to assume the kind of the dream state for the Cubs would be like 40% north homegrown talent, um, yeah. especially in some of those bench and bullpen roles. Um, and you can still trade talented players. It's going to make other teams probably more interested in trading with the Cubs, honestly. Like, yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, I mean, Nelson, I think I even wrote it after the trade. Is like this, there's going to be a point in the next two years where it looks like the Cubs got absolutely fleeced in that trade. And the, that point has happened, you know, six weeks into the trade. Um, <laughs> but there just wasn't going to be a spot for him in Chicago. It just, you know, they, they tried, I think, to make it work. He was one of those questions I think they were trying to answer at the end of last year a little bit. And it just didn't quite get there. I think they they certainly had it in their like projection of outcomes that he was going to go to Kansas City and become a regular and you know really valuable guy there. But um, sometimes it's okay to like lose the war outcome of a trade. You know who mm-hmm. who did better in just war terms to find a guy who fits your roster better. And you know I think there's no question that that Quats, uh fits better than Nelly did. Yeah, especially since Fulmer went down. He's pitched some big yeah. innings since then. Totally. And you really go through it. I mean, the Cubs kind of went through the same thing with Jorge Soler. Like they got that that one amazing season of Wade Davis. Yeah. And he was the best closer in baseball. And on the whole, you then look at all the home runs that Soler's hit since then. He's had a couple big seasons, but it was two or three years really before he had that big season, stayed healthy enough to be in there. And I I I think I think as a fan, I have to look at it and see I'm excited about Canario, Alcantara, PCA, mm-hmm. Owen Casey, Nelson Velasquez. There are only three starting outfield spots to begin with in Chicago. And yep. you've still got Ian Happ and Suzuki, and they may make a run at keeping Bellinger. So, you know, how many of those guys are actually going to stick? And you got to get value from those guys where you can. 
I mean, how about the fact that, like, you know, trading Velasquez was in a sort of quiet way a vote of confidence that, no, Seiya Suzuki is our right fielder at a time where Seiya, Mm -hmm. like, you know, I think we all started to have doubts. Like, maybe it's maybe it's just never going to happen in a way that's that's super impactful. Um, And then the Cubs trade a right fielder during that slump. And now fast forward six weeks and it's like there's no one I'd rather have in right field, you know, that the Cubs could have. Um, could have conceivably acquired in the last couple of years than Seiya. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I've heard rumors um, or a lot of speculation that the Cubs are still going to call out more guys. You mentioned PCA. Yeah. Um, how many guys do you think are potentially in the mix for coming up in September? Yeah, I mean, I, on the pitching side, I think there's there's essentially like four guys um, that – that are sort of there if they need them. And, you know, if the bullpen gets super tired, if, you know, guys at sort of the back end of the, of the big league roster struggle, like I think they are ready to cycle that bullpen if they have to. Um, I think it's also possible, you know, I mean, if these, if these um, nine bullpen arms are all in a groove, I think they're okay. Also just having it be these nine guys the rest of the way and not calling up another pitcher. But um, they're they're ready if they have to on the pitching side. On the hitting side, I do think um, I, I do think PCA is going to come up at the end of the year. I wonder if Jared Young is in, in is in a real like amazing hot streak in Iowa. I, I kind of wonder if Canario and Jared Young get flipped at some point, um, and that bridges the gap to PCA. Um, but that also might be sort of an admission that they were wrong uh, nine days ago in a way that they don't want to necessarily do uh, in a spot that they that doesn't really matter to them that much. Um, so we'll see. I, I don't think we're going to see a ton more, mostly because you know the guys like Daniel Palencia, Quas, um, even like Keegan Thompson's looked good. He's struggled just a little bit. Wesneski had that really loud outing. Like those are the guys that if they struggled somebody would be there to replace them very quickly. If they pitch well, you know, they're going to be the guys into the playoffs. So let's talk about Jared Young. So he came up earlier this season. We saw him a little bit late last year. Mm-hmm. Um, great numbers in AAA. I know I, I had Alex Cohen on a month or so ago, and he was raving about it. was before Young got called up. But, you know, when Mervis was clearly coming, Young went to the coaching staff and said, remember, I do play all these other positions. So clearly he's a guy who's – motivated to put the work in and, and do all the things. Then he came up and he was outside of the first couple of games. He was really lost when he came up to Chicago before. Yeah. And I've kind of wondered as I look at the 40 man and they've, they've cleared some space. And now I think it looks like Boxberger, he, Boxberger is back with the Cubs. We'll see at what point they activate him. He's been back, I think about a week. Yeah. Um, the roster spots are just getting so few. Like if the Cubs want to make a move, if PCA is going to come up, he has to be added to the 40 man. Yep. And as, as I look kind of at the bottom of that 40 man roster, I kind of wonder if maybe Jared Young is on kind of the bottom edge of the cut list. Like what, what are your thoughts on Young still as a prospect at this point? Yeah. I mean, he's, he's old enough that, you know, prospect is a very generous term to even have True. attached to him at this point. Um, I, I agree with you. I think, 
he's in an interesting position where I don't, it's probably unlikely to expect that he's going to last the off season on the 40 man roster. You know, it's mm-hmm. just one of, one of those situations where he is sort of on the back end. And if there's any sort of crunch that they feel at one point, like he is a type of guy that you would, that you would either try to have clear waivers and keep him on a minor league deal for next year. Mm-hmm. Or if somebody claims him, you know, you just say, Hey, like, you know, we gave this our best work for, for six, seven years. And, um, tip tip your cap and say goodbye to. So I don't think he's I don't I wouldn't bet that he's on the 2024 40 man roster, which means that if they do need a spot, he is going to be one of those guys on the chop list in the next um, couple weeks. I think they're going to get by though, get by with having him. When I look at it, you know, there's probably I think there's one open space right now, and then there's probably two guys that that are more likely to get cut before him. And, you know, they just don't have many hitters that are um, hitters on the 40-man roster that aren't in Chicago that are in consideration to be major league ready. You know, they have guys like Kevin mm-hmm. Alcantara and Brennan Davis that, that really aren't in contention to get called up in any scenario. So they do need to have a guy on the 40-man roster that, hey, if somebody gets hurt, we need somebody. You know, we need somebody who we trust to have good a good plate approach in the major leagues. And I do think Jared fills that role. I think, you know, if, if some bad things happen and the Cubs just needed a fresh body, I think they're comfortable with the idea that like, uh, if we have to stick him into a spot, there's a decent chance that he runs into a ball and helps a team. Okay. Who else would you so say? I think is... even, so yeah, I mean, to answer your question, I guess more specifically, I think he makes it to the end of this season on the 40 man roster, but I do not think he makes it past maybe the non-tender deadline in December on the 40 okay. man roster. Who else do you see a risk on the 40 man? Yeah. I mean, I guess Anthony K is probably the big one that, that sticks out to me. Um, just Especially a guy a that, coming that up. had a decent, Exactly. Yeah. Had a decent leash in the majors. It didn't quite take, um, has even struggled a little bit in Iowa, um, since he went back down there. So he's probably the, the most likely guy if they need a spot. Um, I actually like, there's some like really positive things for Anthony's career that have happened this year. I think he, he has both sort of a sweeping slider and a, he has two sliders essentially now is sweeping one and a gyro one. So like, mm-hmm. I think he succeeds somewhere down the line, but you know, when you're in a playoff race, you have to be, you know, you can't afford to, to really be like hoping on the future too much. And, you know, the other guy I want in the same spot is Michael Rucker is a guy that, that has had a bunch of chances. He's running out of optionable seasons to the minor mm-hmm. leagues. I think they, they do like, I know for a fact, they believe that he's going to have a good year in a major league bullpen, but um, sort of like we talked about with Velasquez, like, it just might be the case that hey, we tried it here. We tried it a few times. It didn't quite topple over into super useful territory. Like go, go succeed somewhere else. We need your spot for Pete Crow Armstrong. Yeah. And that's something I've, when you talk about the last couple of years being answering questions on guys, I think Rucker has shown enough to show that he's a capable major league pitcher, but yep. he maybe is not a, at least at this point, a key part of a contending bullpen. Yep. Yeah. I mean, he's the type of guy that to me, like a team is going to claim him if he, if the Cubs put him on waivers and like they're, you know, the Cubs will know that the day they have to do that. The other thing, uh, as far as 40 man roster goes, I think is, you know, they could 
do something like putting Jeremiah Estrada on the 60 day IL. And that would be mm-hmm. a way to sort of get around, around it. They'd have to pay him big league money. Um, and so that sort of depends a little bit on whether or not they, um, whether they have the room under the luxury tax line to do that. But oh, that's true. There is some flexibility there. Even Marcus Stroman, I think, depending on when he's lined up to to return, you could put him on the sixty day and still see him come back this year. So there's some flexibility. I think I think they're going to be okay um, to do whatever they need to do for the next uh, what three three and a half weeks here. Yeah, it was a little surprising during the year. I mean, that one thing I have noticed, even though they don't maybe do it as fast as some of the fans want sometimes, Jed has not been particularly bashful about moving on from guys. I mean, they, they let a bunch of guys go last year, this year. I mean, I think we all knew that was a potential outcome with Hosmer. Um, I was pretty yeah. surprised to see them do it with Mancini. Yeah. I mean, it's... I think there was a concern with Jed and the way that he was approaching team building that he... Um, you know, was he going to be, what's the adjective I want to use? Like gutsies in my mind, but that's not quite it. Like that's harsher than I mean. Like, I don't know. Like, was he going to be harsh enough to make the really tough moves when, when he had to, and it's been a pleasant surprise that like, yeah, I mean like Tucker Barnhart blew me away. I thought like that was a spot that, that for sure they just liked three catchers. I think they liked the way he caught the staff. Um, the fact that when they needed a, a spot on the 26 man roster, they were willing to say goodbye to someone they valued, you know, really said that like, this is a front office that believes this team can make the playoffs and, you know, they've been validated with some incredible play the last 10 days. They're a lot of fun to watch right now. That's for sure. Yeah. I'll, I'll throw out a wild card name. I've heard toss around. So I think at this point, I think everybody knows it's not going to happen, but I know, Earlier in the season, there was a lot of speculation that with as fast as Kate Horton was coming, boy, could you just throw that arm in the Cubs bullpen in the, in the last few weeks and see what happens. Um, what are your thoughts on Cade? Would you see this season? Yeah, I mean, that, that would be a ton of fun because I do think that in a short relief role, he would just be absolutely disgusting. Um, although I, I will say I, I do not think it's going to happen for him this year. Um, Have they formally shut him Cade down Cade had... He's on the developmental list. I, I think there's a chance that that if you know if Tennessee's in the playoffs that they have him make one more start. Um, okay. I think it's probably equally likely that he just pitches a few more times in Arizona, uh, like on the backfields in really controlled environments to just get mm-hmm. the innings to the exact number that they want to get it to uh, for the season. Um, but yeah, I mean, his year to me, the, the most exciting things that happened this year to me were A, that like, his his command in fastball control specifically was um, was so good from beginning to end. And when he got to Double A, the fact that that um, didn't overwhelm him at all from continuing to throw strikes and live in the strike zone, I think was a huge win. And then the curveball um, becoming a pitch that I think he's going to be able to throw in the major leagues at like a you know maybe ten to twenty percent clip is a big win. Uh, the changeup, I think, will be the focus this offseason for him. I think they're messing around a little bit with um, a two-seam fastball that that wasn't necessarily there. Um, so there's still some developmental work being done, but he's going to get a he's going to get a camp invite to big league spring training. I'm very confident in that. And you know, is he one of those guys that just 
shocks in spring training that David Ross can't say no to. And, and he beats out um, Jordan Wicks or Javier Assad or something for a rotation spot. Probably not. Uh, that's probably too aggressive. It's probably more like June or July, but I'm not writing it off. Interesting. Well, and that's one of the big questions is the workload, right? I mean, he only threw 53 innings in college all in his last year. And then this year they're building him up and you compare that to Jordan Wicks and I've got Wicks's numbers in front of me. It looks like, you know, he, he threw what just like 110. No, right about a hundred innings last year. Yeah. And this year he's up a little over that, like 105 looks like they might push him to, he might get to 120, 130. And that seems to kind of be on the path that Steele's been on since he came back from his Tommy John. He threw yeah. 128 innings last year. He's up over 150 this year. Um, it seems like that's something the Cubs are very conscious of keeping those workloads and kind of gradually expanding guys. And I know even this year, you know, as much as they're letting steel go, they're grabbing, they're flipping the rotation a little bit to get them that sixth day whenever they can. I mean, I, I've got to think with someone like both with Wicks, I think it, with Wicks at this point with his workload, he's probably, if he wins a job yeah. out of spring training, he can probably just start the beginning of next year. I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's one of those things like we like we said with being harsh enough to release veterans when you need a spot. You also sort of have to be that way with like expanding innings workload for young pitchers. It's like if you're Justin Steele and you are up for the Cy Young and you are the leading, you know, pitcher on a team that has now like ambitions to make the second and third round of the playoffs like we have to toss out a we have we have to toss out a cap like mm-hmm. you know we have to risk the slight increase that you get injured um, because like this the name of the game is like winning playoff series and winning games and so um, the same thing is going to be true with Jordan and it's going to be true with Cade next year is like if you're ready for the major leagues you like at a certain point we got to just throw you in and we got to see what happens and we got to live with the consequences. Like we can be careful and find those extra days and we can take you out at 92 pitches instead of 105 pitches and things like that. But at a certain point, like when you're there, you, you have to be there. And like, and, and I think the players want that too. You know I mean? Mm-hmm. Nobody, if, um, if David Ross went to Justin Steele and said like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to stop you at 170 innings this year. Like, I feel very confident Justin Steele would be like, no, no, you're, you're not going to do that. And like, you know, I mean, I am imagine going to Jordan Wicks and trying to tell him like, we're going to stop you right now. Like that that would not be a fun conversation for a coach to have. So the players want to uh, have that leash. And I think when the team's good, you know, it behooves everybody to give them that leash. Well, I get being responsible with the arms, but like this year with his, you know, maybe his retirement, maybe not, but Steven Strasburg, you know, how many playoff opportunities did the Nationals, frankly, kind of give up on because they shut Strasburg down out of fear of injury? The guy, yeah. they did wind up getting their one win, but he was still injury-plagued his whole career in spite of that. So even if you shut a guy down, yeah, I mean, that, guarantees. That's, that's actually been, like, my only complaint with the Cubs' um, player development this year is that I think they're really, really, really conservative with uh, with pitchers in the system. And, you know, what that's almost doing is creating too big of a gap for like Mm -hmm. when a guy gets to the major leagues and the expectation is completely, not necessarily a good thing. Like Jordan Wicks 
should not have been, you know, he should not have had an 80 uh, pitch count in the minor leagues if he's going to come up to Chicago and maybe have to throw 105 um, sometimes. Like to me, you have to prepare these guys for uh, the major leagues a little more than they're doing. Like they're somewhat developing with fear of saying like, we just don't want this guy to get injured. We don't want this guy to get injured. Like, what I want you to be saying is we want this guy to help us in Chicago. We want this guy to help us in Chicago and let that be the guiding principle. You know, the injuries are going to happen whether you're careful or not in my mind. So, you know, I think there has to be some sort of healthy balance there. I think the Cubs are super thoughtful uh, about being responsible and and taking care of these guys, but uh, in a certain way, and I've talked to players that believe this too, you know, and you know they're not going to attach their names to it necessarily, but you know they want more rope. Yeah, what well, one of the guys I talked to last off season, I'll bring him back on at some point here soon, is Mark Weissman, who last year was the strength and conditioning coach for the Pelicans. Now he's more of an advisory Hawkeye. role, but he was talking, yeah, former Hawkeye. Um, but he was talking about how they measure ongoing load and how it's the sudden increases that really cause the problems. At least that's. The, the current way of thinking. And I've got to think if you take someone like Wicks and you've got him on an 80 pitch limit, like he's going to, he's way more likely to get hurt if you bring him up to the bigs and then let him go 105 versus if you're, maybe you never let him go 105 in the minor leagues, but you let him go 90, 95 a couple times. So he's, he's been there and had to work through that kind of that soreness and that fatigue. Um, then if you need that extra eight pitches to get to 103, like it's suddenly there accessible. Totally. Yeah. I mean, the situational, you know, situationally, I think you have to um, think about more like, what is a guy going to learn in this spot? Like he just allowed two hitters to get on base and Mm -hmm. he's at his pitch mix, but it's a lefty facing a lefty hitter. Like I want, when that guy gets to the major leagues, David Ross is going to let Jordan Wicks face, you know, somebody that he's really well suited to, to get out in a big spot, even if runners are on base and he's at the top end of his pitch limit in the minors, like, you know, if Jackson Ferris allows one walk and he's at his pitch limit, but there's a lefty batter up and he's about to get his career high of innings in an awesome start. Like I just want him to be able to finish that, that start. I want him to have that like positive feedback of like, I'm at the, I know this is my last batter and I control my outcome of this being the best start of my minor league career. I'm going to strike this guy out. And too often what I think the Cubs are doing right now is saying, nope, you're, like, you're at 60 pitches. Sorry, you're you're out. Yep. Well, I think a good example of that was the other day in Cincinnati when Assad threw that eight inning scoreless, hit his career pitch high at 98 pitches. I don't know yep. that, you know, at that point it's fine to say, congratulations, Javier. Somebody else is going to come get the last three outs. But at the same time, I know some fans wanted to see him go get a shot at the ninth. But when you're already yeah. at 98 and you're already over your career high, to get through another inning, that's another 12 to 18 pitches, depending on how s- smooth it is. Now, all of a sudden, you're jumping him 20 pitches. That's That probably is going to be when he gets hurt. Exactly. Yeah, it's that difference of like letting a guy finish it mid-inning versus like letting a guy start an inning. like. I totally get the responsibility of not sending a guy back out when he's, when he's sort of nearing it. But, um, you know, letting a guy, uh, finish what he started within an inning, especially when you're talking about guys like having, um, 
career highlights. Um, mm-hmm. I think that really builds them up. I mean, you've seen we've seen it with Steele a few times where like they've given him that one extra or two extra batters and he's gotten through. Like I know the first time he got to seven innings was like really meaningful to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and like that stuff matters too. That builds confidence that that does a lot of the developmental work you're trying to accomplish just on its own. Yeah, and you can see it. I mean, when Steele gets those big outs, you know, that's when he's, ah, you know, coming off the field. And those are great moments. Everybody loves those. Um, yeah, I mean, I've talked to Justin, and, like, what, what matters to Justin is how many outs he gets in a start. Like, you know, I mean, he he wants to dominate. He, he's, like, put, you know, obviously, like, putting his team in position to win is, is probably the most important. But, like, the metric that he's using to define whether a start's successful or not is, like, did I could I go get 18 outs and then could I get 21 and like now we're mm-hmm. seeing 24 as a possibility like he he really values that and like um, I think a lot of these guys do I think he's a good example now as some of the young pitchers come up I, he's been in the system for so long that he's I think he's played with so many of these guys like I listen to the compound yeah. and they talk about you know Zach Short who hasn't been in the org for you know three years is talking about remembering what Steele was like you know back on the backfields and yeah. Um, I think that's just cool, and I think it kind of creates that sense of what it is to, you know, be a cub for this organization. Justin's also like he's just a phenomenally nice guy, and um, he's a big video game player. And I know in talking to Jordan Wicks this off season, that like last year um, during the season, Justin was like signing on and playing video games with Jordan Wicks and Cole Franklin, and you know they were talking. And so Jordan Wicks comes up to the major leagues now, and he's already got sort of a buddy in the locker room of like this established major league guy, just through like sort of being willing to hang with these guys even when you're a major leaguer. So it's nice. I mean, guys like guys like Justin and Nico are so, and Christopher Morrell are so important to sort of help guys bridge the gap between the minors and the majors because those guys have a ton of respect throughout the system because they've never big-timed people. They've always sort of been accessible to those mm-hmm. minor leaguers. Well, I think to bring it full circle, I think we've seen, I think back to 2015, 2016, Theo talked about waves of talent, and you have this, they wound up, whatever that next wave was going to be, they basically traded it off chasing pitching as, as it turned out. Um, but it is cool now to see, you know, I, when I was going through the homegrown, when I look at 2015, 2016, it's all like rookies, first year, second year, third year guys. But when I look at it now, you know, you've got Ian Happ, who's been here around for a long time. You've got Kyle Hendricks, who's been here, been in the org since 2012. Yeah. And it's cool now to see guys who have been Cubs now passing that on. And, and to the point about Steele, I think I've seen a lot of similar stories about Kyle Hendricks. You know, he goes down in his rehab at Iowa this year, is working with everybody. Yeah. And it sounds like he's. I saw him a little bit on the backfield at spring training this year, and I saw him talking to a lot of different guys. And um, mm-hmm. I think that kind of in-house knowledge and experience is really valuable. Yeah, and I mean, even like somebody like Adrian Sampson, I remember talking to a couple minor leaguers that that were just singing his praises of like a guy that when he finished his work in Iowa, like he was sitting there and he was like giving advice to prospects and, and helping them and, and tie on too. like, I know he's been really helpful to steal this year. Um, so yeah, I think the Cubs are doing a better job of like trying to have the players, um, not police each other, but like help each other. And, in, and like in yeah. very specific ways, like how can we, 
how can we um, pair Javier Assad with somebody who also throws this pitch mix? And like, you know, let's talk, let's have uh, Assad and Kyle Hendricks talk changeups for a little bit. And um, I think that stuff really matters because like when you talk to the prospects, like they, the respect they have for major leaguers is just so immense. And um, man, like Nico jumps out in my head as like, the year Nico was drafted with all those high school kids like Brennan Davis and Cole Roeder mm-hmm. and all them, like when you talk to those guys, the the way they talk about Nico is like it's it's different than they talk about anybody else. Like they just have an admiration for him and and the way that he treated them. Um, so yeah, that stuff matters. And um, I think starting in the Theo and, and Jason McLeod era, they put a lot of um, they put a lot into drafting good people and and that really does matter to them i you know they those they have guys take personality tests and makeup tests and stuff like that and, and they do put that into their evaluations and you know that dates back to the steel draft and um yeah i mean to still see the benefit of that i mean you saw it with kyle schwarber when he was here and and him being a good person that people loved but it's carrying through to this era mm-hmm. with justin too I think you see it in the in the team, right? I mean, they had got off to a pretty good start in April. Then May was kind of a disaster and didn't get out you uh-huh. know, great footing in June. But I think I think as Ross said the other day, I think the team really did believe in themselves the entire time and just kept grinding it out. Yeah, all spring training. I mean, it just seemed very um, seemed very obvious that this was a group that really like was taking self belief into a different territory than we'd seen in the last couple of years. Like they just they were talking about the number of championships they had in the locker room and the mm-hmm. experience and like, you know, Jan Gomes and, and Dansby uh, and Cody, like being guys that just like, there was a confidence that we're going to be okay. This team's talented that that got them through that bad May stretch. And, you know, I think they're just, they're humming right now. This is like, this is what those guys are built for. And I think they're bringing the young guys around to sort of buy into it. Like, Hey, we belong here. And I've got to think, most of the minor league teams over the last few years as the system's improved, there have been a lot of playoff appearances at Myrtle Beach and South Bend and Tennessee yeah. and Iowa. And so these guys are coming up thinking winning to some extent. I know minor leagues is much more about development, but I think winning still matters. And then oh, Jordan think, Wick, Jordan Wicks does not go into a uh, at bat thinking he's not going to win it. And you know, he's yes. that guy is a, that guy is about winning games and, um, and he saw it in the minor leagues uh, with South Bend last year, and um, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely carrying over. And you know, he's not going to be intimidated in a big spot. And you know, we saw that with Assad in the World Baseball Classic. Like these guys are, these guys uh, understand that like beyond their own success, what really matters is is that team uh, raising the flag. Absolutely. Well, Brian, it's been great having you on. I know you got a hard stop, so I'll make sure I get you out on time. But where can people find you in your work? Yeah, I, I write uh, a couple times a week, usually over at Bleacher Nation, and uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at @cubcubprospects. Great. Well, thank you for your time today. This has been great. Enjoy yeah, the conversation. it was a lot of fun. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for listening today. If you like this episode, please drop a rating or a review wherever it is you get your podcasts, and share the episode with a friend. Just a few seconds gives me great feedback and helps other Cub fans find the show. You can find me on Twitter or X. Instagram, TikTok, Threads, Blue Sky, and YouTube, all at CubsPS Plus. And check out the Patreon page, cubspsplus.patreon.com, to help support the show and keep it ad-free. 
As always, the music for this podcast is from Prospect Park West by Jerry McCoy. This is Mike Waller, host of the Cubs PS Plus podcast. Every day with Cubs baseball or talking about Cubs baseball is a great day. Go Cubs!